For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen? In the afterglow of the Advent, Jesus' arrival, his birth, um, we, we revel in these truths. We, we bask in, in the grace and the love that God has shown us. The sacrificial work that Jesus came to do on behalf of undeserving sinners. I mean, this is the beauty of the gospel. Uh, to, to push back our self-righteousness, to think that any amount of our own good would be enough, but that we are desperate for a Savior. That's only when we begin to see the, that God is holy and perfect through and through and will not compromise His holy standard to see that all of our best is, falls far short, that we need the perfection of the mediator of Christ to come to accomplish what we could not And only by God's grace does he give us saving faith, a new beginning to be devoted to Jesus. Not just to believe what he did, to believe in who he was. Scripture is clear to say that even the demons believe rightly about who Jesus was. But to trust our lives to him. To be devoted to him. And and so, with a new year upon us, and a new decade upon us, Believe it or not, um, I'm excited to see what God has in store for us. Um, what a year it's been. 2019 is a special year of God bringing forth many beloved family members that, we've now, that we now call family. And salvation, new beginning for many of you. Opportunities to refine and, and repent and to grow and mature in, in life and priorities in marriage and parenting. Uh, it's just been wonderful to see the maturing and the growth of this family. Uh, I, I've prayed and pondered, Lord, what would you have for us uh, in this new year? Um, and, and what would be a good focus for this single standalone sermon um, uh, at the end of our year? And uh, I just can't help but think about, as I look at the ways that we're growing as a church, how we growingly are looking like the early church and their devotion to God and to each other and, and fighting sin and, and, and testifying the gospel and commitment to make disciples unto the nations. And so uh, I want us to look to the testimony of the early church in, in a very a very important passage. It's a popular passage, but it's it's one that God's blessed us with to give us a lot in a very small section of verses. And, and, and the reality is there's a lot here. And, and more than I have enough time to cover in just a short time together. But I want to pull some important highlights from this passage. So I want us to look to Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42. We're going to look through 47. And this testimony of, of the early church. Christ has died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's ascended and sent out the apostles to testify, to, to plant churches, and to see the, the growth of who we now are, the, today's church, and beyond. Hear with me the testimony of our brothers and sisters from long ago. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. 
There's so many things in this text. Today I want to I climb in and just pick out five things uh, that I, I pray we see. That the early church Christians did well. And my hope is that we can put them to work ourselves as we approach the new year and have a new beginning uh, in the days and weeks to come, Lord willing. Looking at verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. These early Christians were devoted. They, they didn't know yet what it was like to find a way to kind of put Christianity in their pocket and, and kind of compartmentalize their religious beliefs or practices. They had seen what Jesus had done. They were in the midst of, of the, the passionate teaching and preaching of the apostles the Lord was saving people all over as the wake of the gospel began to move through the region. These Christians were sold out for their creator, for their king, for their savior. They were devoted. That word means they were committed. They were steadfast. They were prioritized in their time, in their ways. They took seriously the time and the talents that God had given them. They saw their life through a new lens, a new lens that was changing them and refining them. And new birth was not just a, a new spiritual reality. It brought forth a new way of looking at life and a new commitment to serving Jesus as Lord with all that they had and all that they were. I want us to really take a moment and consider for us individually, what, what are our priorities as of late? Do you see that if you belong to Christ, you don't belong to yourself. You now joyfully belong to God. For He has bought you with a high price. He's saved you from what you earned because of your sin. From your enslavement to sin. Now we are joyful slaves to Christ is what Scripture teaches again and again. And it is the greatest gift we've ever received to belong to Him this means we prioritize our life and our days differently than we used to. It is our goal each day, each day that we understand that God gives us, He entrusts to us, to steward what He's entrusted to us for His glory and for others' good. Consider with me that word stewardship. A steward is a manager of someone else's things. Stewardship in the Christian sense, is our privileged opportunity to be faithful managers of God's provisions. To manage what He has provided, what He's put into our lives. And we begin to see that our very waking up is a provision of God. The working of our mind and our bodies is a provision of God. The ability to work a job and to make money the, the, the relationships we have, the opportunities we have, the skills He's given us are provisions of the Lord to be stewarded in this short time for His glory, for the eternal reality of what it means to glorify God and not to be wasted on just fleeting temporary things as we once only live for when in our sin Romans 1.6 basically says the heart of Christianity is to belong to Jesus. We belong to Him for His glory. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 tells us that we do not belong to ourselves for we are bought with a high price so we glorify God with our lives. So let me ask you today, how are you doing at being devoted to God in all that you have and do? Is it your privilege and devotion to be a faithful manager of God's provisions in your life for His glory? When it comes to your job, as Scripture teaches us, do you do that job in such a way where it's for His glory? Not your own. And not just for the temporary things it gets you, but it's an opportunity to glorify Him and how you do it. And in, in even the job you choose to take and the, the hours that it, the commitment it means. You, you have relationships 
for His glory. The purpose of our marriages, as we understand Scripture rightly, is bigger than love and romance and family. It's for the glory of God, for the testimony of the gospel of Christ's covenant commitment to His bride, the church, as we see in Ephesians 5. The, the things we have, the, the things God's entrusted to us, the money we make, the children He's entrusted to us, the, do we steward those for His purposes, for His priorities, for His glory? If our hope is in God, if our joy is in God, our clear understanding is that everything we have is His and is to be used for His purposes. And if this is the case, then we will be good and faithful, devoted stewards of what He's entrusted to us. As the new year approaches, this is a perfect time to take some inventory uh, and really slow to assess what have been the priorities of our year, the things we sign up for, the commitments we make, the way we have invested ourselves or contract we sign the way we're allocating and, and spending the money we make uh, the, the, the ways in which we're taking advantage of the days God gives us to raise our children in the truths of God the priority to be discipled to be taught and fed and to grow in the Lord these are priorities that need to shape who we are in Christ so I just ask you plainly, are you doing what you want to do? Fulfilling your agenda or your dreams? Or are you devoted to put it all on the altar? To truly make your priorities His priorities. The money He gives us, the skills, the, pro- the, the opportunities to steward them in such a way that He receives glory opportunity to spread the gospel and to make disciples this was the laser focus of the early church and it very much shaped who they were Um, and we're longing for it to biblically shape who we are there's been a lot of reformation in our church in the last decade to really put away man-made traditions and to climb into just solely and, and, and simply what does scripture give us How does he call us to go forth? Look at this testimony. They were devoted. They devoted themselves to what? Let's look at some of the the things they were devoted to. Number one, the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the teaching of their God-appointed shepherds, God-qualified shepherds, and to the study of God's holy word. They took what God said to Joshua most seriously This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. That when we belong to Him, we trust ourselves to what He has ordained to reveal to us, to instruct us with. And we count it a privilege that He's persevered the, the, the written word, that we still have it today, that we get to know what God wants us to know. We get to conform ourselves to it. We want that. Or maybe the psalmist who said in Psalm 119, 102, 105, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Are you devoted, church, to the study of the word of God? To the priority of learning from your shepherds as they teach you God's Word? Are you, or are you more devoted to worldly routines and traditions and practices? If someone got to just follow you around for a day, where would they see your devotion when it comes to what you're looking at or, or swallowing or feeding or studying? 
Sadly, many Christians have a more faithful devotion to their Netflix account or their Facebook feed than they do God's Word. To see the difference between the one devoted to the world versus the one who's devoted to the Word of God, we can look to Psalm chapter 1, 1 through 6, a powerful text to speak of this in great clarity. Look at it with me for a moment. Very middle of your Bible, Psalm chapter 1, 1 through 6, says this Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word blessed here means they're joyful, they're, they're fulfilled, they're satisfied. Blessed is the man who's devoted to the study of the Word of God. The blessed, those who are satisfied, who are joyful in Christ, are not those who seek after the things of the world to fill them, or to walk in the ways of the world, but instead they long to know God, seek after His Word, walk in His ways. Only He can truly satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. This is truly the gatekeeper for two very different roads. One delights in the created to guide and fulfill them, but never finds real lasting satisfaction in the created. The other delights in the creator to guide and fulfill them and comes to know not only lasting but eternal satisfaction and purpose. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I want to be brief about this point, but still make it. I just want to ask you, who are you getting your counsel from? Friends? Media? Family? Traditions? The internet? Secular books and ideas? What we have to see is that even though you might have come to trust some of these sources or these people, they're not able to put your roots into that which is lasting or true. Because that's only found in God. When we trust in the ways or the practices of man, it might feel or seem like you're doing good on the surface, but what you have to understand is your roots are not able to go deep. There is no way to build a foundation there. What The foundation ends up being weak or fragile. We'll look at what that produces according to this text in a moment. But let me ask you another layer. When you sit down, what do you spend time with? You run to the internet or to TV or movies, social media, secular books, video games. To what degree are these things, what is filling your thoughts and your perspective on life, in comparison to the things of God. These things will shape the way we see the world and the way we do life. The psalmist is saying there is an influence all around you that if you're not careful, if, if, if you're soaking it up, it, it will influence who you are and where you go and, and the foundation you stand on. Look at the consequences of this. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sin sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked will perish. So there, there's a lostness, like scattered chaff. There's guilt because of sin in the judgment. They're not part of the eternal congregation, but separated from God's holiness. Doomed to perish. 
What we have to see about this lifestyle, this way, is it doesn't allow you to get your roots into that which is life, the life-giving soil of God, the satisfaction of God, the truths of God. Any of these things that are leading us or we're finding our identity and meeting that kind of just worldly agenda or what we say is normal, you've got to see these things are only short-term. They will abandon you. They, they, they won't be able to stay committed. There is no enduring. There's no real satisfaction or joy for those who, who only look to these things. It means lostness, judgment, separation, eternal punishment. If, if this is you and you've been coming to church and, and you're trying to kind of grow with God on occasion, maybe, maybe just Sundays, but then most of the week you're headlong into just the ways of the world, you need to see that you're still basing your life then. Your devotion is not to the things of the Lord, it's still to the things of the world. You're not feasting on the Word not being trained in the Word, not being influenced by the Word. Instead, we look more like the world. If this is you, I lovingly just want to call you to say, repent of that. See the error of it. Confess it and turn from it. Be humble enough to take some new fresh steps in a new direction. I, I love to see nothing more than a grown man humble himself to be willing to say to other grown men, I've been floundering in this and I need men who are going to love me enough to show me and shape me to a way that really honors God ladies you too what does it look like to humble yourself for the good of of your testimony of the Lord and for those that are in your wake those who are following you understand you can't just stop living the ways of the wicked you must start living the ways of the righteous Because the reality is you're going to walk. You're going to spend time. You're going to fill your days with something. The question is, with who will it be? Who will it be with? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Delight means it gets prioritized time. You make room You schedule it. It's a priority for you in your day. You don't just try to squeeze it in. You hunger after God. You want to hear from Him. You want Him to shape you and grow you as you delight in Him and trust in Him and look to Him. The New Testament teaching on these things is that we Christians would hold fast to the Word of God. Hold fast to God's Word is to get our roots deep into these truths, to submit ourselves to who God says we are and what it should look like. So our devotion to Him is not shallow. We don't have high roots where it looks on the surface like we're doing all right. No, our roots are deep. We don't have pepper tree roots. When I first moved to Bakersfield, our first house had pepper trees in the backyard that were beautiful and big and we're like wow what an amazing landscape and beautiful yard and within months and years every one of those trees blew over in the wind they were huge but their roots were shallow and so with the right push and and stress and suffering they fell over they had to be chopped up and hauled away To hold fast to God's Word daily means putting it deep into the soil of your heart so that your roots grow deep in God, in your devotion to God. It's transforming you. Nominal Christianity, compartmentalized Christianity, begins to become a thing of the past. It's really an oxymoron to to say that I love God or I belong to Jesus, but there's no real evidence of that in my life anywhere. No real conviction for sin. No real maturing in the Word. That This is a form of modern Christianity that we've seen a modern day community create, but it's not from here. Are we grounding ourselves, securing ourselves, maturing ourselves in the Word of God so that when the wind blows, and it will, When suffering comes hard and your most loved ones 
get cancer or die, or you lose your career job because of one moment's mistake or something else happens, your roots, your, your, your faith is deep in the truths of God. It's not floating on the surface ready to be swept away. The love of God is enduring because it's not based on circumstances. I say this a lot in coaching marriages and getting individuals ready for a lifelong commitment. The greatest commitment you'll ever make till death do you part. To understand this is a big deal. And that to love someone outside of God is to love them with your best. And the problem is our best is selfish. Many, many ways of evaluating why we even love someone, why we want to marry them, is, is fixed on this idea of here's the things I like about them. Here's the things they do for me. And so this selfish love breaks down because when they stop doing that or they stop looking like that or they stop performing that way, then I don't love them anymore. And it falls apart. It doesn't endure because it's built on a selfish love. But the love of God is selfless. It is able to endure. How? Why? Because what is looking for is satisfied in Christ. There's a satisfaction of who I am in the Lord and a maturing of who that person is so that then my love for you is not based on circumstances or performance. It's enduring for us to weather any hardship we would face. To the end. Consider what that looks like for others' relationships in your life or other commitments we make. We need the love of God. We need to have our roots deep into who the Lord is. If not, is to just roll the dice and hope somehow we're not just like everyone else. The reality that hardship's not going to come hard at us and somehow we're going to overcome. So how do we delight in the Word of God? How do we hold fast to it? Simply put, church, you have to get time in it. You're not devoted to anything. You're not spending real time with it. Sunday worship is an investment. Coming here, committing to Sunday worship and the prioritization of your schedule and who you are to sit under shepherds who are biblically, faithfully teaching the Word of God is an enlightening investment. But that's not the holding fast. The holding fast that Scripture is speaking to for us as Christians is that daily walk with the Word. For some of you, a commitment to Sundays is where you need to start. You're haphazard in what it looks like to even be a member of the church. But For most of us, it goes beyond that. It moves into a time of prioritization in our days now let me point out you're doing this right now you make priority for the things that are important for you every day you prioritize putting food in your belly if not you get real grumpy and you need that snickers right (laughs) you prioritize putting clothes on your body if not you get arrested and go to jail (laughs) You, you prioritize uh, you know, basic preparations, making sure there's gas in the tank, making sure these basic things happen or it all falls apart. And yet, many times, there is such a lack of prioritization for the most important thing, the thing that fuels the marriage, that fuels the leading of the children, that, that keeps us centered on not satisfying the flesh, but on God, a prioritization to be saturated and devoted to the Word of God. Again, like I mentioned earlier, many of us are even really good at prioritizing time in the lazy boy and and resting in the things of the world, but not in the things of God. I am excited about how many of you are growing in these things, are heeding this call and changing the priorities to really get into the Word. Where husbands are holding wives accountable and vice versa. And there's a real commitment to this is the most important thing. I make sure that you're getting and that I'm getting. And many of you have been very regular in the Word. For some of you, 
um, this last year was your first time being regular in the Word. And I've and so enjoyed the testimony of what it's meant to be faithful in the Word of God. Uh, for those of you who just are finishing this year's reading plan, we read all the way through the New Testament, one chapter a day, five days a week, 52 Saturday studies, and you read with me through the entire New Testament. What a joy. I love hearing how you're growing uh, and maturing. But I'll be honest, I'm concerned for those of you who, who tried it for a minute and then put it down. You got back to your other commitments and your other habits. I'm concerned for you who think, I'll, I'll be alright, I've been doing this Christian thing long enough, I'll be okay to go without it. No, you won't. <laughs> and so I, I just want to say at this moment of time, we get to kind of say, no matter how you did this last year, Monday begins a new beginning. And I'm thrilled that many of you have been asking, hey, Pastor, what are we reading in 2020? Because I see a hunger in you for God's Word. I love seeing and hearing about how you're digging in. Uh, I, love, I love seeing Sabine's post once in a while when I pop on Facebook and how she's journaling, digging into the Word, and it's shaping her young life. I, I love hearing some of your questions that you're asking to your group leaders and digging into the Word of God and how it's shaping you and, and molding you. Testimonies I could go on again and again with, but I'm excited to, to announce that this year in our annual Bible reading commitment, we'll, we'll be studying 52 figures of the Bible. Um, a way to look at the whole narrative of Scripture through these individuals that God has elected and ordained to do amazing things through and in. And we learn so much as we kind of consider the whole narrative of Scripture in this way. Um, the, the people of the Old and New Testament, and I'm excited to see where God will take us. And so what that looks like if you're just joining us, um, you can grab one of these yellow papers in the back if you're the kind of person that just likes to have your journal and your Bible, and you have this with it so you can see what we're reading that day and, and then dig in. Or for many of you who are a little more tech-oriented, you can go on our website, go to our Bible reading plan, and sign up, put your email in, go to your email, confirm it, and you will get a daily reading, Monday through Friday, and then on Saturday morning, uh, a weekly Bible study that where I take you through that person in a deeper way. We'll study some deeper layers there and, and see that together. And then Sunday morning, we're here. We're digging into God's Word and the passage that He has for us on Sunday morning. I would encourage you to commit to taking this practice up, joining us in this way. Even you who are visiting from afar, we have people all over the world who are reading with us in our reading plan and send us updates of how it's blessing them. It's really a great joy. I'm asking you, church, this season to truly be people devoted to the Word of God in a way like never before, whatever that next step is for you, uh, to carry it with you, to be really an oddball in any restaurant you sit in because 98% of the people in that restaurant if not engaged directly in conversation will have one thing in front of them this thing and how odd you look when you instead are looking at this but the open doors it creates opportunities for testimony the opportunities to be even praying over those that surround you to be consistently fed by the word to bring your Bibles to church, we study expositionally, verse by verse, through the Scripture. I want you to become familiar with God's Word in that way. That we be people of the book, devoted to God and His Word. Look with me in another layer quickly. That was the main thing I want us to see this morning. I want to point out a couple others we see in this passage. Um, verse 42, they, were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They were people who prayed. They were people who prayed often. Paul's charge to the New Testament church, to us, Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, and with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, bringing our prayers regularly to God. Church, we're not called to suit up and then just sit around. We're called to suit up and testify the gospel. We'll get to that in a minute. We're called to suit up and to be people of prayer, to walk with our God. 
to keep alert by making supplication for the saints. Supplication there means praying for them. Are you praying for all the saints? Are you praying for one another? I love uh, Paul's charge to the church when he's writing Romans 15.30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. The basic point of this verse is to motivate the Roman Christians to strive, to struggle, to fight. That's a strong word, to fight in prayer for their brethren. As Paul would go to Jerusalem with a contribution for the poor Christians of the city, he's saying, pray for us. This plea is not casual. It's not laid back. It's not, hey, when you think about it or haphazardly when you get to it. There's a devotion to prayer. He calls us by our Lord Jesus Christ to strive in prayer. To, to, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, not because we use the name of the Lord Jesus as some kind of like incantation. We like wave the wand of Jesus' name over something and then it comes to be. That's a misinterpretation of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We pray in Jesus' name for the will of God to be done. We pray in Jesus' name because He is the one with all authority in heaven and earth as He declared in the Great Commission. That's who we're praying to. It is by the work of the Lord, the love of the Spirit, we strive together in our prayers. We must pray because this is how the Spirit works among us. This is how we stay devoted to and plugged into God throughout our days and nights and happenings. So what does it be in 2020 to be devoted in prayer? Take up new practices of praying. May we too be praying Christians. Look at verse 45 with me. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Here we see what it looks like when Christ takes hold of our lives and radically changes our hearts, our priorities, our practices. Once dead in sin, set on the flesh, spending to satisfy the flesh, overworking to gather more, to spend more to satisfy the flesh, fleshly spending all that God has provided on ourselves, being consumers only. Instead, in Christ now, we're motivated by the Holy Spirit to reprioritize how we spend or steward or manage what He has entrusted to us. I love Paul's counsel to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth. Can I just say real quickly, this is us. As Scott taught eloquently in one of our recent uh, midweek gatherings as we worked through the commandments lately to really see that, you know, you make, I don't know, over 40000 a year. You're in like the what is it, 1%, and if you make over $80,000 a year, you're in the 0.01% of everyone in the world. That is wealth. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, to put their hope in wealth. How are we putting our hope in wealth? How did you define how good Christmas was this year based on, on how much you could buy or give? That's putting our hope in wealth. Wealth which is so uncertain, he says, no, put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life which is truly life. Quickly, to break this passage apart. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Do you remember last week as we studied Matthew 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that your good deeds will be seen by unbelievers and they will give glory to God. They will be transformed. That word good is the word kolos in the Greek. It means beautiful. That people see the good in our deeds and it's not just a temporary good. They see the beauty of Christ. They see that it's bigger than us. 
They see Jesus. It says to be generous and willing to share. Are you generous in your lifestyle? How do you know you're living generously? It's a question. What does that look like? Okay, that's, that's such a big word. And the simple way to evaluate that is that generosity. When you're being generous, it means it costs you something. It means it's not out of your leftovers. It, it's not an amount that doesn't change your lifestyle. Generosity changes you. It means you really give up something. You do a different thing because you are generous. To understand what generous looks like, we simply look to the life of Christ. Give up all of the abundance of the heavenly throne to put on flesh, to walk among man, to not have a place to lay his head, to have prestigious moments not in man-made glory, but riding on the back of a fowl, of a donkey, to die sacrificially, criminal's death. He lived generously, sacrificially. It says, in this way, lay up your treasures for a firm foundation for the coming age so that we might hold to what is truly life. Jesus taught us that the way to true life is narrow. It's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're carrying a lot of stuff that they're putting their heart and hope into. The road to destruction is broad. Why? So you have room for all the false idols that we've clung to and put our identity in. The road to life is narrow. Why? Because I only need Jesus. In Luke 16.10, Jesus said, Unless you are faithful in small matters, you you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Church, how are you being faithful and devoted in just the simple matters? So then we can be entrusted with more. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Can I be clear? This is not going to turn into a prosperity gospel message. We don't sow a lot and give a lot so we can get a lot more. If our heart's in the right place, we, we are generous in our giving of our first fruits and in our lifestyle because our satisfaction is in the Lord. It's not about the stuff. And so being entrusted with more is just more opportunity to give more away for His glory and for their good. I love the statement that God will do way more with what you have left than what you can do with the full amount. So what are you prioritizing the first fruits of your income to the work of the Lord in the local church and the gospel? Are you prioritizing the, the, the ways in which you structure your week to the work of the Lord, to getting to serve and be discipled? This is a stewardship. This is an investment in kingdom, in eternity, not just in the temporary kingdom. Again, there's no time like the new year to slow and consider the budget. I encourage people all the time. Many have never really done it this way. But if the Lord calls us to give of our first fruits, then, then start fresh by just writing out, here's our income or here's our week. What does it look like to commit the first and the best of that week or of our income to the Lord, sacrificially, regularly, generously? And then we look to steward what's around it. How do we fill the rest of that time? With what kind of lifestyle do we have with what's left? And we trust, we walk by faith in that. The testimonies are so rich for those of you who have actually done that. Instead of what many do is they, they consider, okay, well, here's what I've, what I've decided I want my life and my week and my money to look like. So here's what I'm willing to consider I might give to the Lord on the back end. Biblically, we're called to live first and foremost for them. Even in why we do it that way, that's a testimony to the watching world to say what's more important to us is the Lord. More important than our family, our comfort, our food, our house, our cars, or anything else. It is the Lord we trust. It is the Lord who's first. Finally, in verse 47, 
says that they were praising God and having favor with all people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a testimony in the early church that they had among their culture. They were risking. They were investing. They were being persecuted. They were standing for truth. They were calling out people's sin and pointing them to Jesus. They were being stoned and run out of cities and put before councils. They were doing that in love. They were doing that because life is with the gospel. That it's not loving to say, I'm just going to leave you dead in your sin and coddle you and kind of hold you there. A truly devoted Christian, that's not love. The world wants to say, that's how you should love me. But that's not the love of God. The love of God is the truths of God, is the grace of God, is the love of God. And they were doing that, and they were investing into their culture, and they were making time to meet with others and testify and to share. They showed God's love and sacrifice in their testimony, in their way of living. And trusting that for those whom God would give eyes to see and ears to hear, they would believe and be saved in His time. To turn from their sin and trust their lives to Jesus. Be born again. It's never too late. No one is too far gone. I've been privileged to run with people very lost in the world who are completely new people now in Christ. Murderers, child abusers, prostitutes, swindlers, selfish people who in Christ are different people who are changing in a new generation. They might have they might have missed and messed up in the raising of their kids and now they're trying to correct that in a new season and their kids or maybe even their grandkids. They're taking a fresh start in their priorities and their commitments in a way that honors the Lord. And it's a testimony why which people are coming back to go, something's different here. I want to listen. I want to ask questions. I want to understand why. Church, this is a call in our daily lives as Christians, redeemed by the blood of Christ, adopted into God's family, sent out as sheep among wolves to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with others. This, this is why He gives us another day, to testify the gospel and to make disciples. If not those two things, we shouldn't even want another day as Christians. We should just want to go home. Because... <laughs> Home in God's kingdom is way better than the miserable reality of this broken, sinful place. But we wake up with a fervor because we recognize God has given me a new day to testify, to be discipled or to make disciples. That's the great commission on the church. That's our priority. In 2017, our core family that transitioned with us from our historic old campus to our little interim location, little storefront we hunkered down in for a year as this place was being built. We, we prayed a lot for our future family, for those whom God would add to our flock in the coming weeks, months, and years. Many of you who are that family now. God's growing in our church. Can we just see that? If you are new to Disciples Church since June 2018, will you just stand up real quick? There's going to be a lot of you, so don't be shy. Will you just stand up? If you are new to Disciples Church since 2018, praise the Lord. We were praying for you, future family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Blood-bought Christian family. We were praying for you. And now we know you. And now together we are to testify and to make disciples and pray for who else is coming. Maybe some of you who have just walked through the doors today. We have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? And much to look forward to as we aim to be good and devoted stewards of all that God has entrusted to you. To us. May Christ be our strength. May He be our motivation, our conviction, and our devotion. That when faced with the crossroads of, do I satisfy my flesh? Do I do this in ways that pragmatically or horizontally make sense to me? Or do I honor God? That we choose what honors God. No matter how hard it is. 
no matter what it costs, because we belong to Him, and we want to serve Him and make much of His holy name. 2020. It's, it's crazy. Here we come, Lord willing. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for this time that You've provided for us to gather, to, to share, to pray for the Hortons, to, to testify, um, to to pray together, to worship you in song, study your holy word. We just thank you for this simple testimony of the New Testament church. So much here we didn't even get to get into, Lord. Um, but, man, we're just, we're grateful. We're grateful for the ways in which you're stirring and challenging and moving on us. And we're sorry, Lord, for the, the things we've made it, the excuses we've made, the distraction we've allowed it to become. But at the end of the day, we would not sell out. We would stay devoted to you. We would hold fast in the truths of God. We'd love those that you put around us enough to call them to repentance and faith, to the truths of God, and to see your mighty and sovereign work, in saving many more and bringing them into the fold for your eternal kingdom. All glory be to Christ. As we gather up today and move through the next hours and Lord willing Monday and New Year's Eve Tuesday and Lord willing we would see 2020 on Wednesday that all glory would be to Christ that the the words of this song set to a tune we often connect with New Year's Eve would be a song way bigger than just that moment. It'd be the song of our lives. Song of a people devoted to Christ. Hear us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. I'll come back to dismiss us.